Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the Strictly NFL podcast. Week one wrap-up episode, going to get a, maybe a little bit into week two. But before we start kicking things off, I just want to remind everybody that the Strickland does have a Instagram at the strict.land. They also have a YouTube, the Strickland, where you can watch the Patreon preview for this video. They also have a Patreon with a $6 tier and a $9 tier, which is where the rest of this podcast can be found. So go check out all that stuff. And additionally, Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and so many more sports. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place all of your wagers, including live betting from your favorite casino and card games, all available to play from your phone. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, all caps, for 50% off on your welcome bonus for the first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And now this is where the podcast starts. And it's not the happiest episode, Jeff. It's not the happiest episode. There's a lot of bad things that happened this week, but probably the worst of them all is Aaron Rodgers' torn Achilles, confirmed this morning by Jets doctors. Robert Sala hinted at it last night. Many people suspected it was exactly that, and it turned out to be. So, this sucks, man. You know, as I hate to preface things with as a Giants fan, but as a Giants fan, I am honestly very upset for Jets fans. To see them win the game the way they did last night, to see everybody just step up and ball out in his absence, there's going to be a... Uh, a thing, a what if for the squad all year. You know, what if Aaron Rodgers stayed healthy? And besides that, I don't think it's the end of Aaron Rodgers. I think he'll come back. But there's a chance that this is the last snap a Hall of Fame quarterback has ever played in the NFL. Tearing his Achilles right there in that life stadium. Yeah, I mean, there's two perspectives here. Um, there's that of a Jets fan and that of a football fan. Um, for Jets fans, this is just absolutely miserable. There was, I mean, just that video of Rodgers running onto the field with the American flag. Like, just watch that. And, I mean, yeah, there was something added there because it was September 11th and it was in New York. But the hype was there because they they really felt Super Bowl expectations for the first time in, you know, a long time. Like, even when they made back-to-back AFC Championship games with Mark Sanchez, those were like holy shit, this is so fun, but, like, can we really win a Super Bowl? But this was this was a team that was built to contend. And if you're a Jets fan, like you said, you have to be just devastated. You, I mean, you're probably trying to be positive right now. Zach Wilson, we'll talk about him in a bit, you know, was up and down. But it's just definitely not going to be the same as it would have been with Rodgers. Um, and, you know – this isn't the time to memorialize Rodgers because we don't know if this is it for him. Um, but I, I think people are kind of selling short just 
how big a loss he is from the NFL. I mean, this is legitimately one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen play football. I mean, maybe from a resume standpoint, you don't have him on like the pantheon of goats. But as far as just watching somebody throw the football, there's no way we've seen three people better at it than Aaron Rodgers. He's just, and not only is he a special, special quarterback, but he's just had such a wild roller coaster of a career. You know, it starts on draft day. He thinks he might go home and get drafted number one overall and slides all the way to the end of the first round. Everybody's seen that clip of Rodgers sitting in the green room a million times. Um, First playoff game he ever plays for the Packers after sitting behind Brett Favre for that crazy 2007 season. He, you know, he takes over for Favre, misses the playoffs in 08. Then 2009, he plays the he plays the highest scoring playoff game of all time in Arizona. You know, overtime game. I, I forget what the final score was. I think it was like 52 to 48 or something. Something insane. The next season wins a Super Bowl, including winning an NFC Championship game in Chicago against his greatest rivals. Next year goes 15-1, wins MVP, maybe the highest peak we've ever seen in a regular season, gets beaten by the Giants. And on and on we go. He has the walk-off touchdown against the Bears to win the division in 2013. He's got the 2014 NFC Championship game against Seattle that they win 99 out of 100 times if Mike McCarthy is in an absolute oaf and you know punts it away. They've got the 2015 second-round game against the Cardinals where he threw not one but two Hail Marys rolling left. Like, you can't you can't forget that he's got 2016 Cowboys divisional round game he makes literally the greatest throw I have ever seen in my entire life rolling left to Jared Cook 30 yard dart to seal the game literally if you if you are a football fan you're listening to this just take five minutes and go watch that throw it is impossible it is absolutely impossible and he just he flicks his wrist and there it is this guy is he's just had such an unbelievable career and if we never get to see him throw a football again, we're losing something as football fans. And I don't think there's been an appreciation for that. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I am speaking as more of a football fan than a Jets fan, but I'm devastated because I loved watching the guy throw the football. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously that throw is something that not only is ingrained in everybody's memory because of how great it was, but, it birthed that infamous meme of the dude at uh, Jerry World with the cheese head on his head. And he, he had the picture and it was like, LOL, they don't know they're celebrating too early. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about or not. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So one, you know, not only did he give us that, but there's been so many moments that he's authored throughout his career from the many Hail Marys with the clock expiring to like you said, highest scoring playoff game ever to just watching him every week with Devontae Adams on the back shoulder fade, no matter what game it is, talking trash to the Bears fans. You know, it's it's been a great career. And he's obviously somebody who gets debated a lot, but I hope everybody can just kind of understand, like, like you said, this is one of the best we've ever seen throw a football. And... He said the plan was two more years, potentially three, if he really liked it over here in New York. Uh, so I don't think he's retiring. But that has to be something that's in people's heads now. It, might, it has to be in his head. At this point, he is going to be two off-seasons removed from his last NFL game. And coming back at 40 years old, 
off of an Achilles is something that, you know, we we saw Brady play until he was 44, I believe, and we were like, wow, this was something we've never seen before. This, in my opinion, is probably something that's even harder than that. Yeah, we. Uh, I actually think a more apt comparison would be Peyton coming back from the neck. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, the Colts, like, Peyton Manning built Indianapolis, basically, from <laughs> as a football town. Like, Lucas Oil exists because Peyton Manning was drafted by the Colts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them to say, and, and I understand that Andrew Luck was a generational prospect. I, I think they made the right decision regardless. But there is a very heavy nostalgia factor there. And for them to say, okay, Peyton, we're kind of going to go, we, we're going to go in another direction. It must have been bad. Like, <laughs> and they say he couldn't turn his neck. Like, yeah. they, he literally couldn't look right or left, you know. And for Peyton to come back after after missing a year, playing with a new team, and Denver had, you know, the NFL's best offense his first year in Denver, and then had the best offense in NFL history his second year in Denver. That's, you know, an all-time comeback. And I feel like if Rodgers is able to come back from this, it would be up there with Rod- what Rodgers did or with what Manning did in Denver. Um, and I've got to say I'm rooting for him. Like, I just, if anything, just for Jets fans. Because, I I mean, I literally joked about it here. Like, we were talking about the Jets over under before the season. And I was just like, man, but they're the Jets. And, like, that sucks. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to be right about that. But this is literally the most Jets outcome possible. He didn't complete a pass. There were. I mean, there were sports books that were giving away money if Rodgers throws for over half a yard. And instead, like, the, the, how does I just my dad? One of the how do they do Jets, it? Yeah, my, my 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 dad, one of the biggest Jets fans you'll ever meet, was at the stadium. Like, I just don't get how they keep finding ways to break their fans' heart, and it's devastating. And at some point, it has to turn around, and maybe Rodgers coming back from this injury is the one to do it. Shit, man. Like, we're about to lead into it. Maybe Zach Wilson this defense. Maybe they. Maybe this is just something they overcome, and they do something special, you know? I don't know. Um, if I can give it a little bit of a silver lining for Jets fans, you are not going to owe a fresh-round pick to the Packers this year. So this could go... You know, many ways you could be bad, which I don't think will happen because your roster is great, but you could be bad and you could be picking early and you can find your way into another young quarterback. Or what could happen is you guys stay in the wild card, maybe divisional race. Maybe you look at a playoff spot, maybe at like nine and eight or something like that. And then the next year you have Rodgers coming back full cast that you have now, first-round pick kept, cleaner cap sheet, and who knows, maybe there's a world where these, where this injury doesn't turn out to be catastrophic in the way that, you know, we might think it is right now. One thing that I, I think is kind of not being discussed is the Jets, you knowing that he's a 39-year-old quarterback, knowing how much money he gave back to them, I find it odd that they never addressed having a more reliable backup quarterback. Like Jacoby Brissett was out there. You know, Mike White went to the Dolphins. There was a lot of avenues to where even if Rodgers got hurt, you didn't have to depend on Zach Wilson to be your backup. Maybe they do want him to be the backup. I don't know. 
but you're right back to square one where you were last year. The season is once again in Zach Wilson's hands. Granted, you're a better team now with some additions, but it sucks again. Like, it sucks again that he's in the position where he controls your fate. Well, I think I think the decision to lock in Zach Wilson as their back quarterback, as their backup quarterback, is an admission that they're not ready to give up on him, that they still see something there talent-wise. And they were thinking that if they just give him a year or two or a couple years to learn from Aaron Rodgers, I mean, by the time Rodgers retires, Zach Wilson will still only be, you know, a 25, 26-year-old quarterback and now have all these reps under his wings, under his wing of learning from one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, clearly, this was the risk of of taking that chance, but, you know, there are other outcomes where Rodgers stays healthy and Zach Wilson just learns. And look, I mean, let's dive into the game. <laughs> Zach Wilson made legitimately one of the worst throws I've ever seen on that interception to Matt Milano. Yeah. It, ESPN, ESPN showed the back angle, and Milano didn't disguise his coverage at all. He's sitting right there, right in front of Zach Wilson's eyes. And I just can't believe he made that throw. But look, I, I actually think there was, you know, a decent amount of good. The Garrett Wilson touchdown throw wasn't one of them. That was another horrendous throw that Garrett Wilson just absolutely God-moded somehow. Um, but the Bills are no joke. This is a team with a really good offensive line that was giving the Jets offensive line issues on, in pass protection all night. Um, they're tough in coverage. And I, look, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow this out of proportion and say, Oh, don't worry. They can still win a Super Bowl. That's yet to be seen. Probably unlikely, but let's not sleep on the fact that they beat a really good bills team. And there will be people who say, well, yeah, like I'd hope they beat them. Josh Allen had four turnovers guess what? There's a team on the other side of the ball that has to force him to make those turnovers and has to, you know, have coverages that confuse him and force these bad throws. And the Jets going into this, this, this wasn't a fluke. The Jets were supposed to have one of the best defenses in the league. That's a reason they had Super Bowl expectations, combining Rodgers with one of the best defenses in the NFL. This was a really impressive win. I don't know what you thought about it. Yeah, I thought that this told me a lot, honestly, about both teams. The Bills for so long have, or I shouldn't say for so long, but one of the big knocks on them last year was that this is not a physical team at all, right? They they were getting beat in the trenches, both sides of the ball. They didn't really have a run game. And although the run game wasn't really effective last night, you still had to account for it because James Cook, in my opinion, looked pretty good. I would like to see some more Damian Harris. I think his style of run complements James Cook really well. And if you kind of are able to find that perfect match between the two, that, you know, that really perfect marriage, I think that adds a dynamic and diverse running attack to Josh Allen. So I also think there was a bigger emphasis on the short, quick game, you know, with Kincaid, who I felt looked like he really belonged on the NFL field, you know, even for a rookie in his first game, he was impressive to me. And Diggs just means Stefan Diggs. These guys are all legit. I think the biggest standout for me for the Bills was how insane their defensive line looked without Von Miller. We talked about, you know, in that first preview episode, how much respect I have for the Jets O-line. And they were just, you know, we saw how many times Rodgers got hit on his first four plays. I think he had three dropbacks and he got hit all three times. So 
you know, they were there to make a statement as well. You know, everybody talks about how the Jets are a real physical team and the Bills were matching their intensity. So this is a big, you know, people aren't going to take it this way maybe because of, you know, who won and who lost. But I come out of this game thinking, all right, the Bills are not dead at all. You know, Josh Allen had three interceptions and a fumble. We get that. If he has two interceptions and no fumbles, they probably win by at least a touchdown. So those turnovers, they're going to be variant with Josh Allen. We know this. We know he's going to have them. We don't necessarily know if they're going to come in bunches or one at a time. But in my opinion, this was a big arrow up for both teams. Yeah, if I was a Bills fan, this is the type of loss I would want to have. Like where everybody played well except Josh Allen. Because Mm -hmm. I I just feel like Josh Allen should have earned his fan base's trust. So... Like, if you lost a game where Josh Allen absolutely balled out but nobody else played well, it's like, oh, shit, how can we expect too much more from the rest of the team? But if this is what the team can expect, and, like, you know, you were the one who said it uh, last week. You brought up Greg Rousseau. Well, they had Ed Oliver in the middle. He had, you know, uh, he had a couple quarterback pressures and half a sack. And then I brought up the tandem of Shaq Lawson and Leonard Floyd. Floyd was everywhere last night, you know, and, and I, I do feel like something I said last week actually came to fruition in the sense of, you know, he's splitting reps now. He's not expected to be that full-time every play impact maker. He knows when he's out there, he has one job to do. And while on the whole that might cap his ceiling from an impact standpoint, it also maximizes his impact per play and it simplifies his job. And, I think you saw that last night. They absolutely dominated the Jets' offensive line in the passing game. It was, uh, I mean, I actually, if you, if you, I mean, Zach Wilson finished the game 14 of 21 with 140 yards. That to me is impressive against that def- defensive line because he, he, he already is at a disadvantage because of his stature. Um, one of the things I think I would be most worried about if I was a Jets fan is, Nathaniel Hackett last year showed zero willingness to adjust his playbook to a quarterback skill set. And he went into this season with a playbook built for Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to adjust that for Zach Wilson, who's a couple inches smaller and probably needs to be outside the pocket more? That's yet to be seen. But the fact that Zach Wilson did most of his damage inside the pocket made a couple of really nice throws to Garrett Wilson on the second level. Really, really nice. I would be, like you said, I would be fine with this loss if I was a Bills fan. I'd be frustrated that Josh, Josh Allen played so bad, but I would still feel like, okay, if Josh Allen's Josh Allen, we can win a Super Bowl. And if I was a Jets fan, I would just feel really good about the team as a whole and be like, if we can get competence from Zach Wilson, if he doesn't lose us games, this is still a playoff team. Um, and as I finish up here, you know, I brought up, Greg Rousseau, I brought up Ed Oliver, I brought up uh, Leonard Floyd and Shaq Lawson and the Battle of the Trenches. And I think something a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing from you as someone who played football at a high level is, you know, you watch last night's game and you see Brees Hall running amok on the Bills. Brees Hall looked absolutely unbelievable. And you saw Mekhi Becton pulling. You saw all these creative run schemes where the Jets were winning in the trenches. And then they set up these pass plays and the same guys are getting obliterated. So do you think you could expand a little bit on why perhaps 
an offensive line can struggle in pass protection, but be look so good in run scheme in, in in run plays? Yeah, I think something that kind of goes in line with how we've you know talked about this Jets line is they have a lot of dominant athletes, right? You know, from from a Mackay Becton to a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker, who is a great pass blocker, but you know is a really truly elite level run blocker. These guys are freaks. And when you get them in space, when you get them blocking anything besides, you know, a DN and D tackle, they're going to just dominate whoever's in front of them. So, you know, losing, losing a guy like um, Tremaine Edmonds for the Bills, it's not hard to see why the Jets are able to spring off so many runs. You know, when you have guys, like I said, of like a Navy T or like a Becton, you can really lean a lot more in the run game, right? You know, you're, you know where you're going in the run game and you can always be kind of in charge of your steps or you don't have to mirror somebody like you have to do in pass pro. So when you take that lead step, you know, you're building the head of steam instead of getting hit with somebody who has the head of steam and like you will be in pass pro. And that's why, you know, Rogers was getting attacked from the get go, but Brees Hall was springing off runs. And part of that is because Brees Hall is a special player, but Back to what I said about the Jets being physical, they will manhandle teams in the run game. They are perfectly built, you know, to be to be a team that can run the ball thirty to thirty-five times a game between uh, Hall and Cook. So, getting into a little bit more of the pass pro stuff, I was thinking that they would honestly be better than the media was talking about them to be in training camp because Rodgers is such a great, you know, quarterback at maneuvering the pocket and maneuvering pressure, but. I feel like I I think they just didn't have enough time to gel because they played I believe one series or maybe two series in the preseason against the Giants and when like we talk about with the Giants right with Glowinski and with Evan Neal so much of it is communication and pass from my opinion way more than the run game because stunts are going to be harder to follow right when you're blocking a gap in the run game you're blocking whatever guy comes in front of your in front of your face. When you're blocking a stunt in the pass game, you have to make sure you're passing off your guy and that your guard or your tackle next to you understands and sees that you're passing off your guy. Because if not, the hit that you're putting on your quarterback is way worse than the hit you're putting on your running back. So a lot of it, in my opinion, also is that pass pro is probably, I should say, it, to me it definitely is a more refined skill you know, as far as being an alignment goes, because you have to be way more balanced. A big thing that we're going to talk about with Evan Neal coming up is your mistakes in pass pro are way easier to also take advantage of than in the run game. One big thing with Neal is he, he'll like I said, down a lot in pass pro. And right when you do that, defenders can recognize that. They recognize that you're off balance and you lost your leverage. They'll rip, they'll swim, they'll do you know, whatever move it is. And it's hard to recover from those, you know, especially when you have multiple losses in pass pro on one, on one rep, it's not, it's not great. And I just, it's hard, man. It's hard to have five guys really succeed in a pass play all at once. So with that in mind, let's, uh, before we move on to the other game, Let's project forward a little bit and talk about the Jets' Week 2 matchup. How do you see the line and the team holding up against a really good Dallas fan that – or Dallas team, excuse me, that all New York's 
football fans should be familiar with after after this past Sunday. Do you do you yeah. do you think they'll gel a little bit better? Or you think Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence are just gonna be a nightmare for them? Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say is the Jets definitely have a better five man unit than the Giants do, but they don't have that anchor that the Giants did. And seeing Micah Parsons do what he did, I don't care how confident you are in your five up front. When you see him doing what he did with Sam Williams, with Tank Lawrence, Dorrance Armstrong, who played phenomenal, whether it was against Evan Neal or whether it was against JMS, Glowinski, phenomenal. Their depth is something that you have to take serious because even if a Parsons gets injured, even if a Tank Lawrence gets injured, they can still get home. And not only is it that, but they have a great blitzing linebacker and Leighton Vander Esch. And they have corners who really strap you. So, you know, it's not just blitzing that's that can help them get pressure. Gilmore and Diggs are legitimately maybe the best cornerback duo in this sport. So you're you're worried about coverage sacks too, especially with Zach Wilson. You know, is he gonna be able to maneuver the pocket? Is is Gilmore still like that? I I didn't I didn't realize he was still so highly thought of. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is definitely not the be-all, end-all, but he had an IDPFF grade this week. He was strong last year. Uh, I believe he had two pass breakups, and he had the interception um, on that play on the sideline. So still, as much as I hate to say it because he's a cowboy, but he's still a pretty great player. Interesting, interesting. Which, I mean, no better way to – lead into the Sunday night game. You know, you're you're the Giants fan, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the reins over to you, but I gotta be honest, from an outsider's perspective, that was look, I, that was as miserable of a game as I've ever watched. Um and I think what made it most jarring to me is how promisingly that first drive started. It was one of those things where it was like it was just reminiscent of that Vikings playoff game, the Giants-Vikings playoff game, where they were just rolling up the field. And you really felt like Dayball had a feel for, okay, I know how to beat this defense, and we're just going to get chunk plays every single time down. You know, a couple negative plays, and then boom, the avalanche starts. Uh, you know, I'll hand it over to you for, as a Giants fan, what, what you thought yeah. that frustrated you the most. All right, so just for everybody watching, this is going to be the first time – where I really get annoyed when I talk about football. I love talking about the sport, and I love talking about my team. But I was fucking disgusted with what I saw. And I think, honestly, truthfully, this is the worst game an NFL team has ever played. Because this was all over Twitter. I'm not going to act like I, I made this up myself or I did the research. I'm seeing this tweet from The Athletic. No team has ever, in one single season, lost 40 to nothing, lost the sack battle 7 to 0, lost the turnover battle 3 to 0, thrown a pick 6, and had a kick 6 return for a touchdown. The Giants did all of that in one game. In one game. And before them, no team had done that in an entire season. So, it was flat out pathetic. You know, I came on here and I raved about Brian Dayball in our preview episode. Brian Dayball has to harbor responsibility for the team looking like shit, honestly. I, you know, I, I try I try to, you know, be pretty family-friendly on here, but 
this is not the time for that. They look like shit. Isaiah Hodgins should have been on the field more with the amount of drops and just how much we needed a security outlet. Daniel Jones is my guy. He missed way, way too many throws. You know, for your first game after your big contract, I don't care if it's raining. You know, I understand that you had somebody in your face on half your dropbacks. I need you to be a little bit better, but neither here nor there. Darren Waller, I have nothing to say about him. Mark Lewinsky, I'm I'm beside myself with, with watching this guy play. I am beside myself. Like I said earlier, PFF grade does not entail the full story, but when your pass blocking grade is a one out of a hundred, your pass, his pass blocking grade was one grade higher than myself and, and Jeff. <laughs> have, have you ever seen that? Uh, <laughs> sorry, this is just really random, but have you ever seen the, the fake letter written to Madden from the worst player ever rated in Madden? This guy, this guy wrote like a fake letter to Madden on behalf of this guy who was given like a 40 and one of his ratings was like a five awareness. And he's like, you gave me a fucking five. Like, what do you think is going to happen? I'm just going to like trip over myself. <laughs> he, Glowinski got a one. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of great content creators in, in Giants spaces and Twitter, whatever, YouTube, whatever you want to call it. I did some looking at clips myself just because I had the game recorded and I went back and watched it on TV. The clips that I also saw on Twitter, he has to be Mark Lewinsky, right? He has to be embarrassed of what he did in pass protection. And I'm sorry, like, I'm not even over here trying to make the guy look like a clown. I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to him. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he went, showed up to the gym this offseason. It didn't look like he did because in the run game, he was double teaming with JMS, and JMS was washing his guy downfield for him. The minute JFS, JMS stepped off the double team, Glowinski just got shed. He just he wasn't even there. And honestly, and have it, I think he had an 80 PF grade for his run blocking. Horrible grade. Horrible grade. Maximum 60. I mean, like I'm not I'm not trying to be like overreactive just because I said I didn't want him to be starting potentially the worst guard performance in the history of the NFL. Nine pressures, I believe it was five hits and three sacks. Are you kidding, bro? There's, there's guards who go entire seasons without giving up nine pressures. And you did it in, really in three quarters. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.